Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Uh, you know, it's day 8,000 of the pandemic and day 50,000 of the lockdown. So as well as can be expected. Um, and Team Canada just lost to Team USA with 2-0, which is always a bummer. Total bummer. You know, Bruce, one thing I would say is North American hockey, you can smell the money burning when you watch those players on the ice. Hockey is a rich person's game. And in North America, we're willing to spend more money than anyone else on player development. And you can see that in the skill level of these players. All of these players, almost all, like all of them, just unbelievable, fantastic skill. And I found them in the games that I watched for the tournament, just to cut above the European competition with it, you know, obviously that that's not always the case, but it, I'm starting to, it's, it's starting to be a trend in hockey the last 10 years where these two countries are getting a lead. And I don't see the other, maybe Sweden's hanging in there, but I don't see the other, other countries hanging in very well necessarily. Um, we're going to do a three things on the game, three things each. So we will start with your, take on the game Bruce what did you think of that game well you know I would say I hated that game <laughs> in a lot of ways having, having a rooting rooting interest it was so frustrating to watch that game Canada just could not ever penetrate the slot of the USA until very late in the third period uh, by my unscientific count uh, uh, Canadian forwards had zero shots on net from the slot, center slot, until I think Dylan Holloway got a rocket with about five minutes left, and then there was a couple Just of chances. Just three minutes, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of chances like late in desperation time, where even if they did score, they probably weren't going to win, you know. And it was, uh, uh, they generated, their best chance came on their one penalty kill of the night when the Americans were pressing offensively. And um, Bowen Byram hit the post, which is always a fun thing for the losing side to remember. And then uh, the other one was when the uh, uh, Braden Schneider, also a defenseman, tried to deke um, uh, the excellent Spencer Knight uh, in tight. And Knight just got sort of the sweater of his arm on it, just enough to tip it over the crossbar. And the forwards, when they did generate looks, they either couldn't hit the net or they couldn't get their shots through. He is some and goalie that yeah, night. Yeah, he was good. He, he was good, but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the shot clock says 33-21 for Canada, uh, but it, it was uh, it was oddly distributed. And, and uh, USA, you know, really kind of kind of just shut down the center of their own zone and let Canada shoot away from the outside a little bit. Uh, but the you know the Americans give them credit. They played their hearts out in this game, and I thought they deserved to win. Uh, Canada outcoached, possibly, possibly. I mean, the Americans um, they just seem to be able to cycle the puck quite a bit. Uh, their best mm -hmm. players, especially. Um, this mm -hmm. is my this is my first thing. Their best players were better than our best players. I thought in this 100%. game. And uh, boy, that Sanderson's a horse. And I see, I can see why Ottawa drafted him. Um, Zegris is a fantastic player. I can see why Anaheim drafted him. And um, Philip Boldy, very good player. 
And those guys, they they really dominated the puck at, at times and uh, created great scoring chances. Bruce, I, I will say that a game like this comes down to balances in a, in, on a mm-hmm. certain level. Like they, it was a very yep. close game. And in the, the first period in the power play, near the end of the first, I think it was, um, sponsored by Milk, um, <laughs> the sp- the power play Canada could have scored easily. Like they're, they're just, if they just had a little bit of luck on a bounce here or there, um, they could have been right back in the game at that point. And this is hockey. And, and if I know coaches, I'm just a low level minor hockey coach. And right. I can tell you, I, I don't know how many, I've probably been in, um, I don't know, five to five to 10 championship games in playoffs and tournaments over the years. And man, when you lose a game, even as a low minor hockey coach, it's all you think about. It just keeps running through your mind for like for more than a year. It can still run through your mind. It, I don't, none of them still go through my mind very much anymore. But I can imagine that the Canadian coaches, twenty four seven for the next eighteen years, they're going to be thinking about this game, and about the bounces and about what went wrong and about their strategy. And uh, I feel sorry for them and I feel sorry for the players because it, it's a tough way to lose. But this is this is why we love hockey. That I thought I kind of liked the game. I thought it was a good game. I thought it was. Um, it was a hard-fought game. It was a hard-fought game in Canada. I, you know, I, I thought they came out strong and then lost it. Suddenly, the Americans that that young American kid, what's his name, Vermeer? What's his? He rushed up. He made a great rush up the ice. Veneers, Matthew Veneers, number ten. Veneers, is that it? Uh, he made a great rush up the ice, mm-hmm. and it just seemed to suddenly snap the U.S. And mm-hmm. uh, of course, he had that great shift leading to the first goal. Um, and um, yeah, good for the Americans. I, I have nothing re- but respect for that hockey playing nation. They're not as good as us, clearly, overall. <laughs> I'm just saying that to, as a troll. They're they're really close. But um, you know, what worries me is whenever I see Canada play the USA, I want our best players to be the best player. So when we form a real team, Canada, in a big tournament, if that ever happens again, that you know we will have those super elite players that outclass their super elite players. We've had that um, in, in, in both at the very top end and in depth for a long time, but maybe America, maybe the Americans are going to be catching up. They've got a huge hockey playing population, almost as large as ours, if not larger. And um, that was a hell of a performance from those guys. So Bruce, what's your next? Here's the stat from their best players against uh, our best players. Uh, this is the starting lineups for the teams. And the USA, Drew Helson plus two, Jake Sanderson plus two, Trevor Zegras plus two, Alex Turcott plus two, Arthur Kiliev plus two. And for Canada, Bowen Byron minus one, Jamie Drysdale minus two, Jacob Pelche minus two, Connor McMichael minus two, Dylan Cousins minus one. They got beat. by They just couldn't match up against the Americans' best, uh, uh, best group. And both goals came as a result of heavy, heavy pressure uh, in Canadian territory where the uh, Canadians were unable to clear the zone. On one of the goals, they made a partial line change, which is why those minuses were a little, little bit mixed up there. But uh, the American first line uh, generally dominated uh, a number of shifts head-to-head and the, you know, the power v. power matchup. And Canada's depth, you know, you would like to think that would make up uh, but the whole rest of the game was zero to zero. It was just decided basically by those those two shifts. And 
Yeah. It was, uh, you know, uh, those were, uh, second one, they got a real lucky bounce off the back of the net. But yeah, that to happens. me, they were earned goals, and they were earned goals against, to be frank. What, um, what's your next uh, thing? You're going to go for the 20 uh, minutes? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, like, this game was weird, man. Like, the shot clock, it was like a boomerang. It was 7-2 to two for Canada after about 8 or 9 minutes of the first period. They didn't quite get to the 10-minute mark, and the Americans started to, to come back. And it went from 7-2 Canada to 19-10 for the Americans. So the Americans outshot Canada 17-3. Over that, over that next portion of the game, the decisive part where the two goals were scored, and then from the midway point of the second period till the end, the Americans just they started to hang back. They they did have a couple of shots that missed the net, but they only had two shots the rest of the way, and Canada had 24. So it was like this yo-yo in terms of the uh, of the momentum. But by the time Canada sort of seized the initiative again, they were down 2 nothing, and they weren't, as I said before, not getting into the slot. They were, uh, uh, all of their sort of clean looks seemed to come from the outside of the face-off circle, angled shots, and Spencer Knight had all the answers for those. My next uh, thing to talk about is Dylan Holloway. Mm-hmm. And Bruce, I have to say, he got better as the tournament went on. I think he probably got healthier as the tournament went on. Bob Stoffer of the uh, Boilers now mentioned today he's playing hurt, some kind of arm or shoulder injury, which prevents him from shooting. And I think yeah. I noticed that in previous games. He looked freer. He looked a little freer in his movement today and a little sharper with the puck. Because what you both, both you and I, when I made the D McCammon comparison to him, both you and I had noticed a little lack of sharpness with the puck and the fact he would never mm-hmm. stop on the puck and make a play. Right. And, I, and I was expect like, there was lots of turnovers with him and the puck. Um, not necessarily, you know, the puck, the play ended with him a little bit too much for my liking in those mm-hmm. early games. I saw much less of that. And what I saw was, I saw an NHL player, Bruce. He is, he, you know, when you're looking for NHL skills, you know, the, the speed and the size are cr- such crucial factors as, as in, in the NHL game. And they still are. I mean, people can get around that. Players get around that now with just superlative otherworldly skill. Nonetheless, um, you know, some of the players out there, and I'm not going to name names because I haven't seen enough of these players to know, but they reminded me a little bit of like when Sam Gagne was a junior, great player, but didn't have the size or the speed. And in the end, I think as much as anything, that's what stops them, yeah. Sam Gagne from being, you know, the skating, the skating was the main issue. And Especially I saw that with, you know, honestly, I saw that with three or four Canadian forwards who, who have been drafted fairly highly, lots of skill. But the mm-hmm. size and, the, and especially the, the skating speed isn't there for them. And it made me glad to see that the Oilers had taken – I could understand the Oilers' draft decision. And now who knows how this is all going to turn out for any of these players. But it made me understand the draft decision. And I'm, I'm cool with it. I was, I'm good with it. And especially after watching him tonight, like he was, he was one of the few players who could make a physical difference in the game, who could use his speed and size to hammer on the American defense. He was rewarded with an absolutely brilliant chance late in the game. Uh, it would have been fantastic if he scored, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he did not score. He's not an elite sniper. Right. But that was a good shot, though. That was a, that was a good shot. He's, You know, I'm going to be careful about what I say about him. It's just like when we rate Broberry in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, both these players were playing injured. 
So you have to be careful about any assessment that you make of either of those guys Mm -hmm. based on this, but uh, especially Broberry because he, he was really banged up. Holloway um, again, got stronger as the tournament went along. So uh, I, I'm, I'm good with that draft pick at this point. I didn't see a player who was drafted below Holloway who, who I was thinking, Oh geez, I wish there was a taking him. And honestly, Bruce, I didn't see a player who was drafted after Philip Broberry, who I think, oh, I wish the orders had gotten him instead. And that includes Not Trevor Seagrass. Mm-hmm. Not even, no. I, I okay. Honestly, Bruce, having seen Broberry play all year long in Sweden, mm-hmm. would I trade, knowing what the Oilers need, would I trade Trevor Zegers for Philip Broberry today? No, I would not. There's my, there's my okay. hot, perhaps hot, some hot people take. will see that as a hot take of the day. That's what, what about you? Well, I saw Zegers pretty good, and he did have a goal and assist tonight in the 2 nothing win, and uh, uh, I think he wound up on top of the tournament scoring meters, and he was a factor in every American game I saw, which was not all of their games, but he scored points in the games I didn't see. Uh, uh, he's a fine player. And uh, with Brobery, uh, uh, it's still a little bit of a black box. Like, I really don't know what we're going to get at when we finally get to open that box, you know, and okay. see what kind of NHL players inside. There's a lot of, it's a very tantalizing package at this point in time. Fancy wrappings and ribbons, you know, right there under the tree. And, you know, it's like, that, it's like my wife wrapped it instead of me wrapping it. Yeah, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, he is a, he, he's a, he's a tantalizing uh, talent. Uh, let's say that, and you know, it could turn out to be a major win for the Oilers. There's no question, but uh, uh, time will tell how uh, he comes around. Very disappointing that we didn't get to see him anywhere near his best. And I mean, two Oilers in the tournament, both first-round picks, and they both got hurt right at the beginning. I mean, yeah. that, that's a drag. For uh, Holloway, Mia culpa on Holloway. Last podcast. Uh, now, granted. I was mainly praising him, but I, I did criticize his hands and said the puck went through his stick a little too often. Uh, he didn't make enough clean plays on the puck for my liking. Well, turns out that the upper body injury that had been sort of rumored to be a head injury turns out to have been something with his arm or his wrist or his hand or something uh, that he was having trouble shooting the puck, presumably not just that, but handling it, passing it, gripping the stick, you know, all those things. Anyway, so that kind of explains... Uh, at least it offers a possible explanation to that weakness that I noticed of his game earlier in the tournament. So actually, you know, I didn't mind hearing that he had a hand injury because it kind of explained what I've been seeing. Uh, but um, he did look, uh, the last couple of games, I thought he uh, uh, he looked a little more secure handling the puck and, and uh, uh, passing it. And that one shot that he let go, that was a rocket. And, uh, the goalie saw it late and just got a pad on it. Bruce, your third thing, Dylan Cousins. Yeah, yeah, he was Canada's best player, or certainly their best forward throughout the tournament. I mean, they had they had they had a number of guys on defense that played really well, and Bowen Byram and uh, Jamie Drysdale. Uh, I really like Braden Gooley in this tournament, but Cousins was their driver up front, and he played terrific hockey right through. And unfortunately tonight he came up short in what was the biggest game of the tournament for me. He just uh, he wasn't clicking, and he was uh, he was um, uh, 
misfiring on his shots. He, you know, he whiffed one good chance from the slot or fairly early in the game that he just whiffed and didn't get any shot at all. Shot wide several times, only one shot on net. And frankly, an egregious turnover on the uh, build-up to the 2 nothing American goal that really put Canada behind the eight ball, where he had the puck inside his own zone and under a little bit of pressure, but no actual physical contact. He just made a very weak, basically, pass to the American defenseman off the boards when a little bit of hardness on the puck there would have at least got the puck out. And That was the first shift of the second period, and it was a game-changer. So... You know, I, I hate criticizing young kids. These are all teenagers. I mean, the American captain turned 20 today, and I think he was the oldest player in the tournament. Uh, but, you know, you're watching, you, you, you know, people are certainly quick to praise them when they play well, which mostly they did. But in tonight's game, this, and this kind of echoes the point you made earlier, that the Americans' best players outplayed Canada's best players, and unfortunately Dylan Cousins is on that list. The one player uh, that I, you mentioned that you liked, I think, Braden Gooley. I think you, you mm-hmm. morphed together two names there, Bruce. Uh, Braden Schneider and Caden Gooley. Caden Gooley. <laughs> Braden Schneider. Braden Schneider mm-hmm. is He's one nasty cuss. Man, he is fierce. I like him. But Caden Gooley, yeah, uh, we mentioned him last podcast. We may well have, because I really, uh, the, there was rumors that the Oilers were thinking of taking taking Caden Gooley. I can see why he's got he's got a ton of defensive skill, especially, he you know his offensive game is not elite, but um, he can really play hockey. So he's he's my third thing tonight. Like he's a player that uh, I could like. There was some even some talk about him going in the top ten. I can see why, and he may turn out better than some of the players taken in the top ten of that draft. Yeah. So there we go, Bruce. Let's talk. Go ahead. You got one. Uh, yeah, with just one more point on the World Juniors. You talked about the Canada-U.S. Um, rivalry and the, and the balance. And, and certainly Canada's had their successes against the U.S. on New Year's Eve and in early medal round games. But this is the fifth time they've met in the gold medal game. And other than the very first one, uh, way back in 1997, when Canada won 2-0, same score as tonight, uh, with the winning goal produced by one Boyd Devereaux, then an Oilers prospect. Uh, that was way back in 97. Since then, the Americans have won four straight gold medal showdowns with Canada. And frankly, tonight's was less of a heartbreaker than the other three, two of which, well, one of which was Marc-Andre Fleury banking a puck into his own net off of Patrick O'Sullivan. Uh, another one was John Carlson scoring in overtime after Jordan Everly had scored two late goals oh, to tie yeah, it up, yeah, sent yeah, it to yeah, overtime. Yeah, that was 2010. And then the most recent one was the 80-minute uh, went to a shootout in 2017 when Charlie McAvoy played half the game and Caleb Jones played the other half for the for the USA, and they won in the shootout. So the other three one goal, just just excruciating defeats and tonight you know like i said earlier i think the better team won and when i say that you know you have to accept the result when the better yeah. team wins you know you don't have to be happy about it but you have you know there's there's you know they they uh delivered the goods and they they came up with a tremendous team effort team you know, say tonight and they paid a lot of prices man there was a lot of guys in the uh blocking shots and going down and also dominating the face-off circle, which was another frustration tonight. 
yeah. Canada kept shifting around its lines, too. They never really did settle in, did they? Anyway, to the Americans, I have two things to say. Mm -hmm. 2010 and 2014 Olympics. Moving on. Um, 2002 as well, huh? Salt Lake City. Exactly. Right in your home country. Mm -hmm. Right in the heart of... Then in our home country. Those are the two gold medal games against the USA. So we always have those. Yeah, 2010 is like the ultimate. For mm-hmm. Canadian hockey fans of this century, 2010 is the greatest moment of uh, the century of the century mm-hmm. of our lifetime. No, <laughs> well, just the century because there were some great ones last century too, which right. you and I are well aware of. All right, the Oilers, Bruce, they started their training camp. the The mm-hmm. news at the start of training camp was four players, four players uh, were sitting, were not, deemed unfit to play, probably because. I don't know, getting laid into town, maybe injury. We don't really know. It's all a big secret. Um, they are James Neal, Gaetan Haas, Devin Shore, and who? Oh, uh, Dominic Cahoon. Mm. So I, I think um, Cahoon's a fine because Cahoon is going to find his way onto one of the top two lines, I think, when he gets to town. He is, Bruce. I, you know, from my short watching of the player, I watched, it, I think, about five of his games from last year after the Orders acquired him. He is very Jordan Eberly like. He just and I watched a game that the one game he played in Germany this year, an exhibition oh. game. Mm-hmm. He is an Eberly like attacker, very clever with the puck, a good passer of the puck, um, an okay shooter of the puck. It's just just super, um, just super dangling with it uh, in in for short bursts of time. Neil Haas and Shore, this is bad news for them. Not so much for Neil; he's got a guaranteed contract. But Haas and Shore, they're battling. No. for a fourth line center job and this sets them back uh considerably Haas is only like I don't know if he's skating wherever he is but um at least he was playing in Europe sure I don't know sure wasn't even playing was he so he's really in tough yeah Haas he was uh he was exposed to somebody who had COVID and so he had to undergo a longer quarantine than than he'd hoped so he's been set back for that reason not that he's had a positive test for COVID, but just that he was exposed to someone who did have one. So sort of a one degree of separation from COVID, but uh, uh, it's a, you know, a time killer for him. And uh, uh, for sure, uh, he was such a late signing and I'm not sure if he came in from the USA or if he again is out waiting out a, uh, uh, a quarantine uh, period, and the others. Rumor was one of them might have like an actual injury. Uh, Jason Greger was talking about that, but he wasn't sure which one, whether it was uh, Cahoon or Neil. And uh, he even thought one of the injuries might, uh, that injury might carry into the regular season and force a move to the uh, injured reserve. But all that stuff's kind of premature, and you know, the the. You talk about degrees of separation. Well, you're always at least one degree of separation against what's away from what's really going on. But with the separation uh, of the media from, you know, the scrum, yeah. it feels like we're about three degrees of separation away from what's really going on. And even when there is interaction, you know, on Zoom interviews and stuff, it just doesn't have the same sort of... Can they watch, you know, can the media guys watch the practice even? Uh, I don't know. You must know some media guys. <laughs> I could ask. I'll ask. Yeah, I do. I'll ask them. I haven't been paying that close attention to it. Uh, you know, because I haven't seen again, much footage. 
It's just very sure. preliminary, and like whatever the players say, it's I find it kind of like honestly, I find it a little bit boring. There, because you know, what are they going to say? They, uh, They're in the best shape of their lives, David. Yeah, every exactly. Year, every year you get to check that being spot on. It's like the free space on the bingo card because you, you always get it from somebody or other. Milan Lucic, I'm in the best shape of my life. Well, yeah. And even Tippett, who's <laughs> usually a pretty interesting guy to hear, like like there's just not much to say right now. Um, he has gone back to um to the RNH McDavid Cassian line and he's got Ennis with Dry Settle and Yamamoto. Of course, last year in the playoffs this made me absolutely crazy. Uh because the you, you you broke up the best line in the NHL and you you didn't make the other team stop it. You stopped it yourself. So I thought oh. the coach outthought himself there. You know, Bruce, this year I'm more sanguine uh right now about this arrangement. I uh at times RNH and McDavid have had chemistry. Um, not last year, but there was one year when RNH was first moved to the wing. I think Ty, Ty Ratty might have been on the line at the end of the year there, him and RNH, and that line was good. So, <coughs> excuse me, let's see how this does. And with Cahoon coming in, it really changes everything in terms of the dynamic. I think Cahoon's going to fit in, I think, with one of McDavid or Dreisaitl. And so even if the Dreisaitl Yamamoto line doesn't have RNH, They'll have a pretty good, a very good hockey player in Cahoon, who um, is also really good at cycling and moving the puck and playing that style of play. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a lot calmer than I, than I was last August when I was not at all calm. Well, hopefully he's a missing ingredient to two left wing. Yeah. And if he is, I mean, they, I certainly understand why they want to give um, McDavid. Uh, a little more support on the wings. I mean, la- last year, while the dynamite line was was blowing up the NHL, uh, McDavid spent quite a few games with uh, with uh, James Neal and his broken toe on one wing, and Zach Cassian uh, uh, on the other. And you know, he had two big kind of lumbering guys out there with him, and uh, McDavid himself was providing most of the offense from from that trio. And he was a good soldier, and he, you know, but uh, I would understand that uh, the team, I mean, they're, they're investing $12.5 million a year in McDavid, just to put it in economic terms. Uh, they need a guy that's going to, they can put out there that's going to outscore the other team and win his portion of the game. So they're going to try and find the best combination to uh, uh, to bring him out. And Nuge, I mean, I've said this before, the best solution is to clone the Nuge and Put put two of them out there, one on each of those two lines, but that's not an option. And Cahoon, of the, all the options that were available to the Oilers this summer, Cahoon was the most intriguing one with the personal connection to Leon Drysital that uh, uh, might make Nugent Hopkins a little bit less of a wishbone, you know, where the two guys sort of both want him on on their lines. Yeah. And yeah. So hopefully the Cahoon, first of all, hopefully he's healthy soon. And able to able to play, and hopefully they he and Drysaddle will pick up uh, their relationship. Uh, uh, they know each other pretty well. Have played together in a lot of teams, a lot of national teams, and and uh, some club teams over a decade. So hopefully that mm-hmm. the, that history will uh, will uh, uh, play to the Oilers' favor. 
Cahoon has had injury problems. He had fairly significant ones on and off last year. So uh, hopefully this injury thing isn't him. We'll see about that. Of course, I kind of like the third line too. Archibald, Turris, and Puliyarvi. There's a little bit of crash with mm-hmm. the savvy, savvy, savvy veteran center. And yes, Puliyarvi, who is the great unknown, but uh, lots of potential there. So you could see that working out actually, right? Where Puliyarvi is the main puck carrier working with Turris. And Archibald's banging around there and doing whatever, doing what he does, not whatever he does, but what he does, because he's a he's an effective hockey player. So I, I didn't mind that combination either. And then we have Negard, Kara, and Chase on. I'm a big, we're both big Negard fans, I think, at this point. Mm. So I, I'm hoping he uh, he makes the team was, you know, the starting team, starting twelve forwards, and I, and I we'll see. With the with the absences of uh, twin absences of Haas and Shore, this is a huge opportunity for uh, Jujar Kara. Yeah. And uh, I mean, not that he's not already a known commodity, but I mean, he sort of he was going to be battling for the four C. Well, as of now, he's a, he's the one man that's out there and able to to take that position and hopefully find some chemistry with those uh, with those line mates. The other guy you mentioned, Yasapuliarvi. Man, there's been a real surge of very positive commentary about how good he's looked in the first couple of days of uh, of camp, and uh, boy, would that solve a lot of problems if uh, uh, if he found uh, uh, what it's going to take to put together all those glorious pieces that he has. I mean, he, he's a, he's a he's a gifted player, and if he can put it all together, that would be uh, that would be a huge development. And so far. I mean, training camp, what can you say? But he's come out and uh, played well. And I saw some quotes from him uh, in English, talking about how much better his English was. And you could read the quote and you say, yeah, <laughs> just just from how you strung those words together. You are, you made big steps. And, and I think that was a problem for him. And hopefully that's a problem that he's worked on and will go away. And, and uh, those are very encouraging words indeed to uh, see attribute, attributed to Yessa himself. Bruce, is there any word, have you gotten any word of, if they're going to be showing any inter-squad games at all? Do you know? Haven't heard anything. I have not. I, like, it'd be nice if they had like a Colby Cave sort of um, a re- redo of that game they had at the end of the uh, of the um, summer camp before they played Calgary. They remember they had that game yeah. where everybody wore number 12? It was a little confusing, but at least the stream was on. It was watched by like thousands and thousands of people. And if the orders are, you know, if they're looking to sort of kick up the uh, the fan interest, they could do worse than to uh, stream, again, something something like that, just a I think they should. squad game. They might have two or three inter-squad games. I wouldn't be surprised. They need them before their first game, so oh, I, sure. I hope they show them all. And I would encourage, uh, if there's any people from the Oilers organization, you know, just mention to the the people in charge of that, like, show them. Show us. I think they will. Like, I don't think we have to tell them that. Like, they know that there's a there's a hardcore group of faithful fans. Like, you know, at least oh, yeah. maybe ten to twenty thousand, ten thousand who will watch that, right? And you and I are among the, that group, so. Show us the games. Show us the games. Yeah, run a 50-50 and raise another 500 grand. <laughs> Aren't they raising millions at the World Junior Tournament? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I think if it was the Colby Cave Cup, it might, you know, they might lose a, a zero off the end of that. But, it was okay. still, you know, the, the way this city 
the way this city eats up uh, 50-50s, I don't know. I'd like to say all bets are off, but maybe they're on. <laughs> Bruce, let's leave it there. We can talk about sure. the defense another time because um, we we may, you know, I think the as there's as there's more news now, the podcast might be more frequent here and a little bit shorter. So um, if you are a longtime listener or watcher of the Cult of Hockey, that's what you can expect in the coming weeks. And, of course, during the regular season, we will be back, myself, Bruce, and Kurt Levins, with the ye old Cult of Hockey game grades. And the Scoring Chance Project is back on. So, man alive, here and we the go. the post-game podcast. Kind of, this post-game is kind of a podcast. dry run tonight. Yeah. With, uh, player grades, which I'm about to write for the for the uh, gold medal finale. And, uh, uh, and this podcast. So, we're just kind of a tune-up for us right, right, right now. We don't get any preseason games to find our form. So, this is it. Alrighty, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.